0: Hey guys, welcome to Telling the Told and Untold, my name is Tseho. Before we go straight into today's video, I do have some exciting news and that is I'm starting a podcast. It's something I've been working on for a couple of months now and I'm really excited to finally be able to share the news with you guys. I'm really excited about it and I hope you guys are excited too because I know there have been some people that ask if I have like a podcast so they can listen instead of watching. So you know, your cries have been heard. So basically the podcast is just going to be all of the cases I've covered on YouTube but just podcast for version but there also be podcast exclusives so it's just content i think i uh, might be a bit too graphic for youtube i'll just turn it make it podcast make it a podcast instead you know, And then um, there'll also be case updates. There have been some perpetrators that have been up for parole or have been paroled, which is a bit scary considering the content that I cover. And also some cases I covered early on when I first started, like three years ago. I'm going to re-record some of those cases. Um, just because I think my storytelling has gotten a bit better as well as my research. And I really want to do justice to those cases and those victims. So yeah, I'm going to be doing that. You guys can catch me every... Sunday and Wednesday and this Wednesday will be the first update so please add it to your library wherever you get your podcasts from. So today's case is a bit different it's more political and has a bit has some conspiracy theories so yeah I hope you guys enjoy it and with that let's go straight into today's case. Anson Lebowski, born Theodore August Wilfred, was born on the 3rd of February 1952 in southwest Africa, which is now known as Namibia, in the town of Luderitz. And growing up, he was said to be very introverted and very sensitive when he was just 13 years old his parents decided to send him to Stellenbosch so he could finish his schooling and he did he finished his studies in 1970 and thereafter he went to go serve in the military which was compulsory at the time for every white male once he was done with his compulsory military service he then went to study law at the University of Stellenbosch and then after that he completed his LLB at the University of Cape Town. It was whilst he was studying in Cape Town that he reunited with a childhood friend and her name was Gabrielle and soon the pair started dating and soon enough they did get married in 1976 and went on to have two children. They had a son in 1978 and their daughter in 1980. After Anton's studies, he worked as an article clerk in Windhoek and joined the law firm Lawrence and Byrne in 1978. And then in 1980, he joined the Windhoek Bar and was elected as the Literates foundation regional committee where he basically just worked on the economic improvement of the town. It was also during this period of his life that he became more politically affiliated and politically active. In 1979, Anton joined the NNF, which is known as the Namibian National Front. But according to his father, he made steps um, to join SWAPO, which is the Southwest African People's Organization, within a couple of hours of the first, like, couple of hours from the first time he stepped into like a police station and had his first black clients. So most of the time Antoine would have black clients and they were coming from other countries just trying to return home. They were usually well educated like lawyers, doctors, teachers like you know they had bachelor's degrees. And they would be criminally charged and he didn't understand why because they weren't doing anything wrong, you know, and then he realized that their only crime was being black and he didn't stand for that. And he just wanted to stand up for them and sort of make a difference. Anton also stood out because he was said to be very tall. He was charismatic, outspoken, and at times very controversial. He also had a strong sense of justice, and he was an anti-apartheid activist as well as an advocate, but when most people saw him, they didn't see someone that was like a revolutionary, a revolutionist does that make sense yeah like the way he dressed it wasn't usually like how other people would dress like those people would dress i think like just different to what anton would dress anton would have like his tailored suits he would have a silk top italian shoes even though when they would fight in the streets he would be there right next to them so he didn't just like he didn't stand out like that like he stood out differently does that make sense i think it makes sense as I mentioned earlier, Anton was part of the group that was trying to just improve the town of Luderitz. And this is when the minister of France flew down to Namibia and he was introduced to Anton and asked Anton if he knew a man by the name of San, Sam Njoma. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he used to be the president of Namibia yeah so he and Anton met in 1984 and they became really good friends a lot of black people in Namibia also liked Anton because of what he stood for what he did for them but the white people on the other hand did not they really despised Anton they didn't like him they were really rude to him they would swear at him and they would call him names asking him why he was part of the liberation movement and at times it was not only scary for him but it was also scary for his wife and his children because obviously they lived in like a white area very nice area and their neighbors were rude to them you know they would call them names their children would be bullied in schools and it just wasn't a good time for Anton or his family. The people at Suepo really wanted Anton not only because of what he stood for but also because of who he was he was an attorney which meant he knew the law and he was also white which meant a lot also because a lot of them would be taken into custody and Anton knew the law he could also help them but because of what Anton stood for and because he was part of this organization he wasn't, like they didn't like leave him just because he was white he would also be taken into custody i think he was taken into custody about six times and there was one occasion where um they had a knock on the door like in his home at his home where his wife was home like his kids were home and then he went to go answer the door and three white men stood outside and they were dressed very casually just like in shorts and a top and then anton invited them inside and once these three men were inside this is when they finally introduced themselves and said that they were security police and then they started searching the house and afterwards they took anton into custody but i don't think it was legal because no one knew where he was he was gone for about six weeks they couldn't visit him no phone calls nothing like there was no trial uh, it d- doesn't sound legal doesn't sound legal you know cuz they just didn't like him and they knew like he was a really good man that was willing to fight for all these black people and they did not like it they didn't like that they didn't like him Then in 1988, 12 years after Anton and Gabrielle got married, they decided to get a divorce. If I'm not mistaken, Gabrielle is the one that filed for divorce and then she moved her and the kids to Cape Town and Anton was left in Namibia. And the reason why she filed for divorce was um, mostly because Anton because he had like such a deep sense of justice he was always out fighting for other people which was a great thing but often at times he would forget about his family and he wasn't as present as he could have been and there were also rumors of infidelity as well so yeah that's why the marriage didn't work but the two of them Anton and Gabrielle they did try and just like you know Keep a good relationship between them, a good friendship, and also be good co-parents. And during that year, around the June June around the June July holidays, um, his two kids went to go visit him in Namibia. And once they returned home, they went to their mom, and you know they started pleading with her, and they asked her if they could move back to Namibia and they could stay with their father again. Because they said he like he was all alone. He was still living in the house they lived in. He was just alone in this country, and they loved him so much, and they didn't want him to be alone. And Gabrielle told them that she would think about it, and she did think about it. And after like three days, she called Anton up and told him that they would be moving back to Namibia. And Anton was really excited because he was going to get his family back. You know, he could work harder, like, for his family and be there and be more. Be there for, be there, you, and be more there for them. Yes. So uh, Gabrielle and the children planned to move back to Namibia in September and about 10 days before they were said to move back to Namibia, the tragic events of today's case took place. In the evening of the 12th of November 1989, Anton Lebowski's body was found lying in a pool of blood in front of his home and he was only 37 years old. At nine that same evening, Gabrielle received a phone call that her ex-husband had been shot and killed. And everyone was shocked and taken aback and they couldn't believe that Anton had been shot. But not only that, but he had been assassinated. That day, Anton returned home at around 8pm and before he managed to get into his yard and get inside the house, he was shot seven times with an AK-47 and once with another firearm in the head. A neighbor told police that a guest at her guest house had left carrying a bag on his shoulders just before Anton was shot and returned shortly after Anton had been shot. So police officers tracked down this guy and his name was Donald Ashton, and he was an Irish soldier. He was taken into custody a day after the murder and he claimed that he was in Namibia looking for a job as a cartoonist. He later confessed that he had been recruited by the contentious Civil Corporation Bureau also known as the CCB. And all the circumstantial evidence pointed to him working for the CCB and being in Namibia for the sole purpose of killing Anton. So basically, the CCB was South Africa's principal counter terrorism, counter intelligence, and clandestine services agency. And the CCB had been accused of multiple things they had been accused of torture, human experiments, political assassinations terrorism, and the training and funding of militant groups throughout the world. Then, on the 31st of October, two other men were arrested in connection with the murder of Anton Lubowski, and their names were David Webster as well as Freddie Bernard. It's believed that the CCB had a meeting in Rosebank, Johannesburg, South Africa, Um, and during this meeting, they then Decided that they would kill Anton and they sent down Freddy to Namibia so that he could follow Anton's movements and basically just determine a time that would be like, determine the perfect time to kill him. Not too long after Anton had been assassinated, the former Minister of Defense and Military Veterans of South Africa, Magnus Milan went up in front of the parliament and exposed that Anton had been working for the Defence Force. This was also the first time in history that cameras had been allowed inside the parliament and were allowed to record the entire thing. And Anton's family and friends found it a bit suspicious and weird that this would be the first time that they would allow cameras in the parliament. Like the first time where now they're tarnishing someone's name and tarnishing someone's legacy, calling him a spy. And newspapers had a field day with this news. Newspaper reports would call Anton like Agent Lebowski. And it just wasn't a good time for his friends, his family, and everyone that knew what he stood for and what he had done. Then in 1990, the Hattam Cell Committee was formed, and basically, this committee was formed to investigate the alleged death squads, such as the CCB, as well as investigate claims that Anton Lebowski was a spy for uh, the South African military intelligence. Judge Haramso ruled that Anton Lebowski was indeed a spy, and throughout his time as a spy, he had been paid about 60,000 rand, which in today's money would be about 450,000 rand, which is a lot of money. But it turned out that Anton had been framed. So in Namibia, there were groups of people that wanted to build different things. They wanted railway systems. They wanted casinos. And when people wanted like certain things in Namibia, they would always go to Anton for those things. And Anton didn't know that certain businesses that he worked with actually were owned by the South African the south african military defense so he didn't know that all the money that was being used or money that he had received was coming from them so yeah he didn't know as far as we know then finally, in August 1990, the CBB was dismantled and Judge Harmser denied the existence of the group and that they were involved in political assassinations, abductions, all those things that they were doing, even though they were witnesses to what the CCB had done, as well as people that were a part of the CCB and had committed those acts. So it was a bit... In May 1990, the murder charge against Donald Atchison was withdrawn due to a lack of evidence and then four years later, an inquest into Anton's murder was reopened and the judge found that Donald was responsible for pulling the trigger that had killed Anton. He also found that the murder and murderers were following the instructions given to them by the CCB. So, It wasn't really, like, their fault. They were just doing what they were told. Since then, there have been no prosecutions related to Anton's murder. And because the murder was planned in South Africa, but executed in Namibia, like, people really don't know who should be doing what, like, should they be charged? And sentenced in South Africa or should they be charged and sentenced in Namibia and then because of like two different countries sometimes you know communication gets lost and just a lot of things so because of that the case eventually went cold and it was then closed and the case is still unsolved despite them really knowing what happened.